0: Welcome listeners to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the word of God. Yeah, come on. What's up, church? Good morning. Let's give it up for Jesus in here real quick. Come on. Are you glad that he saved you, set you free, gave you life? I'm so thankful for him. I wouldn't be here without him He is our life. Come on, he's got bread from heaven. He's got water for your soul. He's got freedom for your mind. We're in a series called Head Trauma. uh, And someone came to me the other day and said, what's that series we're doing? Head case. (laughs) (laughs) And so... uh, let me just say, it can be head case too. Anybody ever felt like a head case? You know what I mean? I, I know there's been times in my life that i felt like a head case. And so um, we're, it's called head, head trauma. And, and the reality is we've all had moments where we feel like a head case or head trauma, or we deal with things in our mind, and Satan's after your mind. Uh, God wants your mind, and the enemy wants your mind. Uh, the battle's in the mind. The mind is the gateway to the heart. And so uh, I'm going to jump right into to attacking the enemy today. We're going to be bold and uh, we're going to go after anxiety today. Is that OK? Yeah. Anybody ever dealt with anxiety? Come on, can we be honest in here? And I'm believing today is going to be a, a, a new day for that battle for you and that God's going to, uh, it might be the, the beginning of the end for anxiety in your life today is what I'm believing. Um, the Bible says this, it says in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. And, and so we talked about depression last week, but depression doesn't cause depression. It says anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, anxiety in the heart of a man. Well, anxiety doesn't start in the heart. It starts in the head. And so when you begin to have anxiety in the mind, all of a sudden your mind begins to be taken by that, and then that begins to drop into the heart. And that's where the heaviness and the depression comes from. And so so we wanna go after anxiety today. Anxiety is a tough enemy to fight, and I'm gonna give you some reasons why here today, but I'm gonna deal with a verse in 2 Corinthians 10. Uh, Many of you have heard the verse, and then I'm gonna jump to the book of John and deal with anxiety. The battle is for your mind. The enemy wants your mind, God wants your mind. The mind is the Garden of Eden. The mind is the place that God's promises are planted, and it's where the enemy wants to attack so that you can't get the fullness of the harvest of the promises that God has for your life. It says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 13. Keep in mind, Paul's talking to believers, talking to Christians. Can Christians struggle with you know, different uh, strongholds? Well, this is very clear. It says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Uh, But mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds. And then listen to this, casting down imaginations. One one translation says casting down arguments. So you could say imaginations or arguments right there. Casting down imaginations or casting down arguments or destroying arguments uh, or imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So every high thing, every lofty thing. One translation says every lofty opinion. So, every lofty opinion, every opinion that tries to make itself bigger than God, every opinion that you have that's not God's opinion. Every opinion that the, the media has that's not God's opinion. Every opinion the doctor carries that's not God's opinion. Every opinion that tries to exalt itself makes itself lofty. When it gets lofty, you can't see over it, so you can't see God's truth. It says you have power to bring those opinions down and lower them. They try to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Listen, not God against the knowledge of God. They exalt themselves against you, what you know about God. Yeah. They, come, they try to get higher than what you know God is good. They try to say he's not. You know God's a healer. You know God's eternal. You know God's a forgiver. You know God is creator. You And so these things try to exalt themselves against what you know about God. And then it says you have the power to destroy that, dismantle that. To, to, and then it says, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we destroy arguments. We destroy imaginations. And then we bring thoughts into captivity. The fight is for your mental health. The fight is for our head trauma. The fight is to get us to where we can see ourselves the way God sees us and the world around us the way God sees us. And here's a couple thoughts. It says we have weapons of warfare. We have weapons of warfare, not weapons of battle. It says the weapons of our warfare. What does that mean? That this is a long-term campaign. This is not one battle. This is your life that you have weapons the rest of your life to, to, to do warfare, that you and I are going to be in a campaign called warfare the rest of our life with how we think and how we see God's kingdom versus the world's kingdom, and that you and I have these weapons to destroy strongholds, that strongholds are actually fortified enemy encampments of thinking in your mind. They're reinforced thought patterns that you carry in your mind about yourself, about others, about God. And so Paul says that you have the ability to destroy, dismantle. So again, that's not an overnight thing. That's a dismantling process that you can begin to attack the foundation of the thought processes that the enemy's allowed to be reinforced in your mind about your world, who you are, how you think, your marriage, your job, your neighbors, your friends. You can begin to destroy those things that aren't of God, right? Casting down imaginations or destroying arguments, every high opinion. Listen to this. The word imaginations and arguments are interchanged there. Very important for you to get this. The word imagination has the root word of image. We're an image driven society. You are an image based. You you take in images all the time. It says that you have the ability to, to pull down images or arguments. Can I say this to you? Images drive arguments. Yeah. Images fuel arguments in your mind. What do I mean by that? Um, I was uh, having a really rough day this week and um, was leaving somewhere and uh, there was an accident, an extreme accident on the road, and a motorcyclist hit a, an F one hundred and fifty Ford truck going about eighty miles an hour, and uh, he, he was dead on the scene. And so I, I actually was one of the first ones on the scene at the stop sign where it all just happened. One of our awesome police officers named Tucker um, was on the scene right after that, and so we were praying. I pray. I was sitting there praying. Just they were trying, and I pulled up on them trying to resuscitate him. Um, and then, and then that was a tough image to see. I've never seen anything like that in the street. I've been in the hospitals and emergency rooms, prayed for people that had passed away and things like that, but never out in the road in an accident like that. And so as I was in there, I just, it's hard, you know, you go about your day, you leave the scene, you go about your day. And I just had this image. I just took in this image and that's like, God, how am I supposed to feel? What my day? Like I just, and I didn't even really know how to process all that. And I just, can you just, it's just weird. You go on about your day. Like, Okay. It's like, I don't want to be desensitized to that. And I prayed and that's, and so then the next morning I was in my office, um, at home in my chair and just studying and praying. And my son was leaving for school. Um, he goes to Pellissippi his first semester and he, and he's at the back door and he, and I hear him say, bye dad. And it, and it just hit me. Boom. Like, like just, just the, all of it from the day before. And I just began to weep and, I said bye to him, but I began to weep, and I began to think in my mind, like, this: is that the last bye? That young man on the motorcycle didn't know his last bye, and I began, and then that's okay to feel like, is that, you know, that, and I began to get perspective on some things, but then all of a sudden, the enemy began to bring arguments based on the image I saw the day before, and he said, what if this is his last day, and what if you never see him again, and, and, and you don't ever know, and all these all these arguments, the enemy began to feed my mind based on the image I saw the day before, so what did I have to do? I had to take control of those thoughts. I said, no, my children are protected. My children are guarded by angels. My children have the word of God in their life. My children shall live and not die. My children are called by God. I began to, to fight that argument or that lofty thought that the enemy tried to make higher than, than the truth I know about my family and kids. It says that you would break every thought into captivity. It's so important. Listen to me. You can't fight things in the dark. You don't have the equipment to fight the dark. Predators have that. You don't have that. And so And so literally, you have to have the light Lucifer is always trying to exalt himself above Jesus, above God. Remember in the Bible, he said, I will exalt myself. I will exalt myself. I will exalt myself. He couldn't, he can't. And since he can't exalt himself higher than God, he wants to exalt himself to you higher than what you know about God. And so he's constantly trying to put an image or an argument into your mind above who God is. I need Jesus. I need the light of God. I need to bring every thought into obedience to Christ. Hear me. It doesn't say that you kill every thought. Some of you are so upset because you can't kill that thought. It doesn't say you kill every thought. It says you take every thought captive. It says you control every thought. It says that if you have the ability to maybe not kill the thought, but if you can control the thought, you can stop the thought from killing you. That I I can't kill the the thoughts as a Christian, as a believer, you and I, the rest of our life, thoughts aren't just going to go. They're not going to be gone. We have the calling to actually control them, to handcuff them. There's some thoughts that are after your marriage. There's some thoughts that are after your kids. There's some thoughts that are after your business. There's some thoughts that are after your prosperity. And you have the ability to go, you know what, I'm going to control that. I'm going to grab that. I'm going to handcuff that so that can't kill my calling or who I'm called to be in God. You have to control the thought before the thought kills you or I it's so important you can control you can get it under control in the book of John Jesus says that we're going to have trouble we're going to have problems and there's going to be thoughts and problems and scenarios that exalt themselves listen if Jesus reigns no thought should be able to reign higher than him If he is Lord, then every other thought should bow its knee to his lordship. No matter what source it comes from, you need to get it from the Lord source. John 16, Jesus says, listen, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So the battle is for peace, that you will have trouble. It says, listen, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So, so John is speaking to, Jesus is speaking to uh, Christians here and people that are learning about Christianity and, and, and some Pharisees and religious people. And he's saying, hey, you're going to have trouble in the world. There's going to be a paradox in your life. There's going to be blessing and burden. You're going to have the paradox of my presence and many problems. But I tell you this so that you'll have peace. Take heart. I've overcome the problems. I've overcome the world, meaning that the piece of the puzzle in your life doesn't make sense, but he's put the whole thing together and it makes sense to him. And he goes, so I want you to have peace in that. The battle when it comes to anxiety and depression in your mind is a battle for peace. Satan wants your peace. He's not necessarily after your kids. If he can get your peace, he can get to your kids. He's not after your marriage. If he can get to your, to your peace, he can get your marriage. He's not after the car breaking down. You just forgot to change the oil for 18 years. You know what I'm saying? That's not, the, that's not the devil's fault. Can't blame him for everything. But he wants to get your peace. And so he's terrorizing you for your peace. And Jesus says, hey, take heart. I'm going to leave you peace. I've overcome the world. Satan wants you and I to run and hide the rest of our life, to go to sleep on the battles that we face to not put our mind in gear with the word of God and fight courageously. And so I want to be set free. I want you to be set free. And I want to be bold enough today to fight the, the enemy of anxiety because if you have run and hid too long or if you've just, just kind of fallen asleep on the battle or maybe you've just falsely medicated, which there's, there might need to be some medication, fine, but a lot of people just falsely medicate with many ways to deal with anxiety. And the real thing is you have to like just step up and fight it in a, in a healthy way with the word of God. And so I want to give you a fight plan today. Um, anxiety is trying to terrorize your mind at times, my mind at times. And um, the church has been silent about um, depression and anxiety and things like that. And I want to be bold today. Hear, hear me. Anxiety and fear. Here's why anxiety is so hard to fight. Anxiety and fear are two different things. They are not twins. They are cousins. Anxiety and fear are cousins. They're not identical twins. So, so fear is this. Fear is um, I see the snake and I'm afraid of the snake. That's fear. The other day, I was in my kitchen. Uh, It's on, our house is, we have a basement. So our kitchen's on the, you know, not two stories. It's on the the ground floor, but we have a basement, so it's up higher. Um, And so I begin to wash dishes and help out in the kitchen. My daughter's behind me and goes, dad, 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 dad. And I look out and and she's like, oh, look at that. And there's a five and a half foot black snake in my kitchen windowsill (laughs) on the outside. On the outside, Justin went, inside? Doesn't matter. Might as well. It climbed the wall. It's trying to get in my house. It's trying to be an, a, a guest, intruder. I don't know what, how, I was like, do they, how do snakes climb the side of a siding? How do you climb my, I'm like, oh God, oh God. It's right there. I said, like, what are we gonna do? I fear, oh, I see the snake. I got fear. I'm like, I'm gonna fight I got killed. kill it. What are we gonna do? My daughter's like, don't kill it. I'm like, boys, here's what we're gonna do. I get a weapon, a little mini shovel from when my kids grew up. Thank God my windows, they don't just go up, they pop in. Because I couldn't, I'm getting a strategy here to fight this thing. I couldn't just raise the window up because it's going to come right on in. It was in the track of the window right there, just kind of down and grew. And it just winded up and down in the track. I'm like, oh, what? and so I was like, here's the strategy. I'm going to pop the window in and I'm going to get this little shovel. It's about a two foot shovel. I'm going to reach over the window where it's popped in. and I'm going to dig the snake out of the groove and just flick him to the ground. Boys, I want you to be down there and kill him when he, get, when he gets to the ground. My job's flicking, your job's killing. <laughs> so I, so I, I began to do it. I, I popped it in, and the snake's there. I reached in there. I was like, oh, and the snake just starts coming back up, coming back up into the house. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. that's how I was exactly doing. My daughter's behind me laughing. <laughs> My wife's like, film it, film it. I get. I don't even know if this is going to work. I get it kind of out of the little groove and he starts coming back. He's, the kids are like, he's coming down Dad. he's coming back off dad. And I just flick him down there. He comes, he falls down. The boys were jumping and he goes into the mulch and just slithers down under the mulch. I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> exactly. Like he's still here. Like, Oh, where is he? I can't see him now. Fear was I, I see the snake. I fight the snake. I make a weapon. I get the shovel. I flicked the snake. We killed the snake. I'll tell you, we hunted into the mulch. We killed the snake. Killed it. Chopped its head off. My son Levi killed it while I yelled at him. If we're going to be honest. And Then I hung the snake on the bushes right outside the house to let every other snake friend. I wasn't going to kill the snake, but I called my father-in-law, and it's a black snake, so I know they're friendly, and they do good things, but he said, they're really friendly, and he'll probably try to come back. I'm like, oh, this sucker already tried to get in my kitchen window. He's dying. He ain't coming back. My daughter's like, Dad, no, 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 keep him. I'm like, no, 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 we're killing him. We hung him up out there right in the bushes to let all the other snakes know. Fear, fear made a weapon and fought the snake. Anxiety, anxiety says, is there another snake? I don't see it. Are there two? Are there two? Is it? Is it? Is it coming? Is it really dead? I saw it twitching out there in the bushes, but it's gone and it's not there tomorrow morning. And in, in reality, would say something ate it because it's a dead snake. But in my mind, anxiety says it ain't dead. It's Jason the killer snake coming back. Anxiety would say, is there another boyfriend snake? Some of y'all know him. Is there another girlfriend snake? Is there? Is there? Is there snakes in my attic? Can I go to bed? Is there? Another what am I gonna am I gonna wake up with snakes? Anxiety is something you don't see. Anxiety is something that is not gonna kill you. It actually is killing you because of the possibility of it. And it's so hard to fight because it's not something that you can build a weapon against. It's something that's terrorizing your mind. You need to write this down. Anxiety is a threat. It's not a reality. It's a threat, and the enemy will use things, realities sometimes, situations, moments, sins, mistakes to begin to threaten you. It's not being killed by it. It's being killed by the possibility of it. There was no snake. I'm afraid of the snake. Now I'm afraid of the possibility of the snake. You you, you, you had a mother that dealt with breast cancer, and she beat it, but now you're afraid of the possibility of breast cancer in your family. And so I meet people that go and have double mastectomies because their grandmother had breast cancer, and they're just trying to get ahead of it. It's not even a reality in your life yet, but, but, but you're just, you're just, you're just afraid of the possibility. Uh, your father died at 55 and you're 54. And what if it gets you next year? Um, you, you beat cancer, but what if it comes back? Uh, they, they, they left me. What if I open up again and someone else leaves me? It just begins to be the possibility of the situation begins to try to terrorize my mind and your mind. And there's been times in my life I've dealt with anxiety and This is a battle I've struggled and fought with in different areas. And uh, I just want to encourage you. I want to kill it today. And it wants to steal joy. It wants to terrorize your mind. The moment is over, but your mind is marked. That's what anxiety does. It's it's an evil terrorist because you can't necessarily see it. Here's the deal with with the thought of it being a terrorist. Uh, Satan is a terrorist with these things. And so um, in... Old warfare, you build a weapon and you fight hand-to-hand combat, right? You just fight and you kill it with the weapon. About 20 to 30 years ago, terrorism came on the scene and it was a lot bigger and a lot more well-known in our world. And the thing about terrorism and terrorists, terrorists don't care how many they kill. They just want to terrorize as many as possible with what they do. And so, so they might kill 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, whatever, 2,000 people. There, there's this terroristic event. Well, the point of the terrorism is not to how many they can kill. They don't care about killing a bunch of people. They care about doing an event to now terrorize as many people as they can with the act of terror in order to paralyze as many people as they can. That's what anxiety wants to do to you. It's a terrorist and it wants to do something or you take advantage of a situation in your life and now begin to paralyze you with the possibility of what if the event's over, but the what ifs are still screaming at you. And I don't know if you, it's just me, but I think many people deal with this type of terror. And if we're gonna be honest, some of you in here today don't know how to let your guard down, can't connect, won't engage won't be real, are still hiding because you have a battle waging in your mind. You have warfare. What if they don't like you? What if you say something stupid? What if you fail the test? And, and all of those anxious thoughts. Jesus says we have a real enemy and the enemy's a liar and he wants to try to lie to our mind. He always wants to kind of co-sign the lie with anxiety. Write a couple thoughts down here. First thought, anxiety is not a sin, it is an attack. You, you have to know this because many times in the church, we've thought it's a sin and we're like, oh man, I, I don't have faith and I'm just, I'm sinning. And the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. So I must be sinning and man, I need forgiveness. I need to repent. I and mean, you might've heard messages like, don't, you know, God takes all the care and you shouldn't have any anxiety and you need to f- forgiveness." Can I tell you, it's not a sin. It's an attack An anxiety. You don't need a forgiveness plan. You need a fight plan. You don't need forgiving. You don't need a forgiveness plan with anxiety. You need to figure out how to fight it so that I can attack the enemy that's trying to attack me. It's an attack. Here's the thing. You can't control what comes at you, but you can control what gets in you. Yes. I can't control what comes at me. I can't control the attack, but I can control if that thing gets in me or not. So number one, anxiety is not a sin. It is an attack on your life. Number two, the admission of anxiety is not a denial of faith. Amen. <laughs> So many times in the church we thought if we deal with depression or anxiety or fear that we don't have any faith or we don't have enough faith. And and, and just by admitting that you have anxiety by being real and honest and not hiding behind something, or it, it's it's it, can I tell you that takes more faith to actually be honest and real about it than it does to hide it and hold it? I mean, listen, if you it, it takes faith to tell tell each other and God, I'm in a battle, I'm under attack. I'm feeling anxiety, I'm feeling pressure, I'm feeling trouble. Jesus, you said I had trouble, but where's the peace? You said I had peace. God, I'm feeling this. It takes so much faith to give that to God and trust that he can win the battle. He can defeat the enemy on your behalf. When you hold it, your faith is in you. It's exactly the reverse, actually. When you think you can handle it, when you think you've got to hide it, when you think you've got to hold it, your faith is in your ability. Now, when I get honest and go, God, I can't deal with this. I need help. My faith is in God. That's the greater moment of faith is admitting that I've got an attack of anxiety against my life. I don't want these terrorists to attack me. So I'm going to go after the Lord. I'm going to lay my life down to him. And some of you got saved. Anybody ever gotten saved and like all hell breaks out in your life? You're like, I thought this was going to be you know, great, Jesus. Like, everything was going to be good. I was in connect group last week, and a good friend in our connect group, he said, you know, I got saved. He was telling us his story. He said, I was at the bottom of life. I was at the bar- barrel at the bottom, and, and I got saved. And I thought, woo. And then right when I thought everything was great, Jesus just pulled the rug out, and there was about 10 more feet to go <laughs> lower. You know, and, and sometimes we think you know, we know how we're going to handle it, and God goes, no, 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 I need to deal with some more stuff in your life. You've gotten saved, and you're like, how did anxiety go through the roof since I got saved? Like, why? How did this happen? Can I tell you? It's not because you're just a worrier. It's not because you just are a worry ward, and you've got problems, and you don't have any faith. That's what the enemy would say. No, no, no. Do you think, have you ever met a terrorist that has attacked a little Burbank, Wyoming? I don't even know that's a town. <laughs> terrorists, don't, terrorists don't attack tiny little towns that mean nothing. Terrorists attack centers of influence so that they can wreak havoc in the minds of humanity. And so Satan knows you, when you got saved, you are the light of the world. Jesus said, you have light. You're the light of the world. You have influence everywhere you go by the word and the power of God. And Satan hates that. And so he wants to attack that influence on your life. Like, why am I under attack with anxiety? Because Satan is trying to destroy your influence. And we, if we stick together and we get honest and we get bold and we stay in groups and connected... Satan is scared of the unity of a group of people that aren't going to deny the attacks we're in, but we're going to use God and help, ask God's help to, to defeat these enemies. Number three, this, is this helping anybody today? Yeah. Number three, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. The presence, you, you, cannot, you cannot control the attack of anxiety before the job interview. You cannot control the attack before the first date You can't control that attack before you get up and give a presentation. You can't control it before the promotion. You can't control it before the test. There's feelings of anxiety before those things sometimes. You can't control that. But the taking on of the identity of anxiety is optional. The prison of anxiety is optional. The atmosphere of anxiety is optional. You can begin to actually combat that with the word of God and a fight plan. And I want to see myself, I want to see you free today in a very powerful way. Paul gives us a fight plan. I'm gonna go through this fight plan. It's in the book of Philippians, and I'm gonna jump into Matthew for a minute. And then we're gonna worship at the end today at a little bit different. Usually we have ministry time and our prayer team up here. Um, we're gonna do that at the end. We're gonna go back into a song of worship and a song of faith, and we're gonna believe God to really destroy the terror that the enemy's been trying to wreak havoc in our life. Um, and so I think Peter gives us an amazing plan in the book of Philippians. I mean, excuse me, Paul gives us an amazing plan in the book of Philippians. Many of you know the verse, um, Philippians 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 through 9 there. uh, Paul is in prison. Um, He's about to be beheaded. He's in jail for something he did not do. He's writing Philippians and he starts out in verse four by saying, rejoice in the Lord. He's in prison. Come on, who writes about joy in prison? Like, how did you, Paul, come on. Paul's a little anxious. I mean, Paul is in a place of anxiety a little bit. I mean, he's, Faces some stuff. How did he get through that? Knowing he's about to die. He's in jail for something he didn't do. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. Listen to me. If you don't make a plan, you're going to face anxiety. You've got to have a plan. Paul in Philippians 4, verse 4, this is what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Many of you know that verse, but I just began to dig into it. Do you know what the word rejoice means? It doesn't just mean be like worship rejoice rejoice re means do it again joyce means be joyous so it literally means be joyous in the lord again again be joyous in the lord i say always paul so you can say it like this he says be joyous again in the lord always again i say be joyous again be joyous in the lord again always Again, I say be joyous again. It's like the most redundant verse in the Bible. What Paul is saying is you and I are gonna have a lifetime ability to decide to rejoice again and 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 And you're gonna face stuff every day and anxiety and depression and fear and situations at work and people you don't like and scenarios that happen and all, you're gonna face so many things and Paul says rejoice again. And again I say rejoice again and rejoice again always. You know know why this is so powerful? Because science has proven your mind cannot be anxious and grateful at the same time. Scientifically, your mind cannot be anxious and grateful. Anxious and rejoicing at the same time. It can't be. That's why when we worship in here, many times when we put our hands up, when we sing, some of the times the only reprieve that you guys get in your mind is when you come in here and you worship. And that's what it's meant for, to put my hands in the air and to worship God so my mind is not in the flesh. Thinking about all the week. Some of you that still allow your mind to race and run, I would tell you, put your hands in the air, sing the songs on the screen, and watch your mind actually begin to settle in to peace that God has for you. It's not just because we do worship. It's not just we sing a few songs to entertain us. No, it's the battle. It's the warfare plan. It's how we fight the anxiety that comes after us. He says, rejoice in the Lord again. I say rejoice again. And then he says this in verse five. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. That's a weird verse for anxiety. Let your gentleness be known to all men. What that actually is saying is rejoice in the Lord and then let your gentleness be known. You know what the word gentleness is? It's the word moderation. Moderation. Let your moderation be known to all for the Lord is at hand. Be be a moderate. What's a moderate? Somebody in the middle. Be a moderate. When it comes to emotions, when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to depression, be a moderate. Be in the middle. What he's saying is, here's what he's saying. Don't don't go to extremes with your emotions. Don't go to extremes. Be a moderate. Be in the middle. Don't let your emotions or anxiety drag you to extremes. Or you can say it this way. Your drama ain't going to become my drama. I'm not going to let your drama be my drama mama. Is that all right? Or, or if I have trouble over here, that doesn't mean there's trouble everywhere. Be moderate, be moderate, be moderate. That my, my, my fault, my flaw is that when I have trouble here, the whole ship's sinking. That's just my personality, right? ah, Sound the alarms. Some of you are like, that's our pastor? He's our leader? <laughs> that's in the flesh, okay? When I'm in the spirit, no. I get back to prayer, okay? I get back to doing the plan. But, but, but some of you, just, there's one problem here. It doesn't mean that everything else is a problem. It means like we're gonna deal with this and God can deal with that and everything's okay over here. I'm not gonna let every wave and every wind toss me. I'm gonna be moderate. I'm gonna be in the middle. I'm gonna let my gentleness be known to all people because God is at hand. Then he goes on in verse six and he makes the most craziest Statement, illogical phrase ever. Do not be anxious about anything. What, Paul? You're in prison. You're about to get your head chopped off. You're, you're, you're waiting to die. You're writing this and saying, don't be anxious about anything. That's why a lot of times we think it's sin because of this verse right here. Can I tell you? No, no, no. It's not. That's not what he, Paul's saying. He's not saying don't ever have the feeling of anxiety. He says, don't be anxious for anything. Do you know in the iBook, um, the number one downloaded book in the iBook is the Bible in the world. And do you know, out of all those that download the Bible in the world, the number one highlighted verse is not John three sixteen. The number one highlighted verse is not Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. 11, for I know the plans I have for you. The number one highlighted verse in all the world is be not anxious for anything. Maybe anxiety is the terror that's holding you back from all that God wants for you today. Maybe the battle of anxiety is what holds me back from all that God would have for my life. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. The word be anxious, it's present tense, but it's not just, it's not passive, it's active. Meaning this, meaning this, it's not saying don't ever feel anxiety before a test. Don't ever feel anxious about a situation. He said, don't become the action of anxiety don't, don't be that. Don't let it become your identity. Don't, don't begin to act out on that every step of the way. Don't begin to let your life be led by that identity any longer. Don't be it with your actions. Don't be anxious for anything, but he gives us a solution. Well, what do we do then? What do we do? He says, but by prayer and supplication, but by getting on your face and crying out to God, by sitting in my leather chair, when my son says bye." Weeping with the power of God and the Holy Spirit going, God, I can't protect my children, but you can. With prayer and supplication, with prayer, humbling myself, coming in here and, and putting my hands in the air, even when I don't feel like it, I've never done it. and I don't know what this means to worship. And everybody's putting their hands up and looking at the ceiling, wondering who they're singing to. Like, like I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to sing the songs. And I'm going I'm I'm to make prayer and petition a part of my life with 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 thanksgiving. Yeah. He says, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. What he's saying is don't allow the burden to eclipse the blessing. Don't let the burdens in your life be bigger than the blessings. That if you can get your focus right, you can get your feelings right. If you can get your focus right, you can get your feelings right. Like, I'm going to look at, thank you, God, for this. And thank you for that. And God, I'm, I can't handle this, but I'm humbling myself before you. I'm praying. Here's the fight plan. God, I need you. And I'm not going to be anxious because I'm going to pray. And I'm going to lay my life down. And I need you. And God, I'm thankful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. With prayer and thanksgiving. With thankfulness. Make my request known to God. And the peace of God that passes all of me trying to figure it out. The peace of God that makes me want to figure out all the puzzle pieces and puzzle parts and the situations of my life and others' lives, that that, that peace that goes beyond my understanding, it's bigger than me figuring it out, will guard my heart and mind in Christ. Yes. That you have a guard, that you don't have to be fearful, you don't have to hide. You don't have to hold your, your, your life back. You have a guard. There's something that actually guards you. A guard goes before you, goes behind you. You have a guard called peace that goes before you. Paul says, there's a guard on my life. And then he says this in verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters. He turns it to family. He goes, hey, finally, family, family, brothers and sisters. Hey, hey, family, brothers and sisters. Listen, if you're anxious, hey, listen. If there's anything praiseworthy, if there's anything noble, if there's anything of a good report, if there's anything full of virtue, if there's anything that's, that's good, think, think on these things. He's saying, hey, brothers and sisters, your life goes in the direction of your thoughts. And I, I need you to begin to think on these things. And he says, hey, you know I've been with you. He goes on to say, he's talking to the family, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, hey, I've been with you. The things you learned and that I passed on to you and that you received and you saw in me, and the, the things you saw me practice, these do. Do these things. Begin to practice these things. Begin to put into practice the stuff that you saw in me. Paul's talking to his friends and family. I'm saying it to you today. I'm saying it about connect groups and leaders out there at tables. It's not just to have things. It's like, hey, there's some brothers and sisters and some men and women of God. The things you've seen in them, the things you've seen them battle against and with, the things that you've seen them by. Hey, would you take some of that and receive some of that? The th- way you've seen people worship or me worship or the worship team, put their hand. Would you do those things? Please do those things and put that into Practice. Brothers and family, put put that into practice. Because listen, if you don't practice, peace will never follow. Because he says, and the God of peace will show up. Peace follows how you practice. You begin to practice that, and God begins to show up. How did Paul get this game plan? How did Paul know to do this? Like, Paul had to gotten this from somewhere. He said, hey, because he says it. He goes, hey, the things you learned from me and received from me and heard from me and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Like, Paul, where did, who did you see do that? Where did you get that? I think Paul got it from Peter. Paul, in Galatians chapter one, verse 18, it says that Paul shows up after he's gotten saved, and he goes to Jerusalem after three years. He got saved. He meets Jesus. He goes to Jerusalem, he says, and he sat there with Peter for 15 days in Jerusalem. He hangs out with Peter. Peter begins to train him in ministry and begin to train him in life and begins to train Paul. He met with Jesus, but now Peter's giving him some things and downloading some stuff to him. Peter gets this plan for peace in the middle of a troubled world that he got from Jesus. Where'd Peter get it? I think Peter got it in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. If If you fast forward or rewind to... Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, the end of Jesus' destiny. He's going to the final mission of his life. You have a final mission. You have a mission of God's call on your life. Jesus is headed into that, and he says this in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. He took with him James and John and Peter. took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Here's Jesus in anxiety and in depression. And his soul is sorrowful. Not just his body. His body's dying physically, scientifically. They say that this is such stress that his body is actually bleeding from its pores on the inside. There's so much anxiety and pressure. His body is actually preparing to die. And it's bleeding from the inside out. But he doesn't just say his body is sorrowful. He says, my my soul is sorrowful, even unto death. Some of you have been in such distressful, sorrowful moments. And you're like, can God even relate? Yes, he can relate. Yeah. Can I tell you that he can't redeem you if he can't relate to you? He wrestled with this so you could have peace. He wrestled with anxiety and stress and depression so that you and I could have peace. In the middle of him bleeding out of his face and going to his mission, he says, hey, Peter, James, and John, come with me and pray. I, I, need, I need some some guys in my life. I need some friends. I need some connect group buddies. I need some men around me. I, I, need, I need a Peter. I need a James. I need a John. I, I, need, I, need, I, need, I, need, I can't do this by myself. Jesus, the author of the world, needed some friends around him in the middle of his anxiety and pre- pressure and depression. He said, I'm not going at this alone. This is the battle plan. Some of you are so isolated. scared to tell anybody. Jesus said, hey, let me get a Peter. His name means rock. Let him get over here beside me. Let me get one that used to be wishy-washy, but now he's steady and firm. Let me get a friend beside me when I'm walking in this thing and Someone that's going to tell me my marriage isn't going to end in divorce. Someone that's going to tell me that, that, that this business won't fail. Someone that when I'm up and down and the winds of life are blowing, they're going to say, you know what? It's going to be alright. You're, you're my friend. I got you. I'm right here. I'm a rock right here beside you. Come on, I need a Peter. But he didn't stop with a Peter. He said, I need a James. Come on, a follower of Jesus. Somebody get right up behind me, a friend behind me. When everyone else runs away, there's a James right here standing with me, walking with, me, getting my back. I need a James behind me. And then I need a John. John's name means grace. I need grace in front of me. I'm going to put a buddy in front of me. I got grace. I got Sir By Peter, James, and John as I walk into life, grace leads the way. The goodness of God leads the way. I'm bold and I'm strong because I've got connection and I've got friends. And here's what I would say to you: when you're looking for friends and community and people, those tables out there, those are Peter's, James, and John's. You don't need a bunch of just surface-level football shallow buddies. You don't need a bunch of shopping sisters. Have all that. But when you're picking friends, start connecting to people that have something in them, that have some plan to fight the enemy inside of them. Start linking arms with some folks. And Jesus says, listen, God, I know I'm going to my mission and I'm about to die. This cup passed from me. but Not my will. Your will be done. The final thought I want to tell you is this, that He says, even if, even if this cup isn't taken, Lord, your will be done. You know what Jesus is doing there? He's not negotiating with the terror. Do you know the strongest thing and the most, the the biggest thing terrorists are scared of is someone that won't negotiate with them. Can I just tell you today, quit negotiating with the anxiety. Quit quit negotiating with God when it comes to the depression. Quit negotiating and just say, you know what, God? You might not get me out of it, but I know you're in it with me. You know what, God? There might be a fire on my life, but your will be done. My hands are in the air. I might not feel like worshiping today, but my hands are in the air. I'm going to worship. I might not feel like connecting, but I'm going to connect. God, I know that you're the God that's present in every every single trouble. So you might not get me through it, but you're going to be in it with me. God, I'm going to worship you with everything I got. Nevertheless, God, not my will, but your will be done. Come on, would you stand to your feet with me today? We got about 10, 12 minutes in here. I believe right now this could be the end of a battle or the beginning of the end of anxiety and depression for some of you. Some of you maybe, you know, you've been terrorized and you've been sitting back. You've been scared. Our ministry team's going to come down here right now. We're going to go back into a song. No one's looking around. The lights are dim. Listen, maybe you've never put your hands in the air. That could be the movement. That could be the weapon for the first time today. This could be the start of the end of anxiety in your life. Come on, it's not a one-time thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a battle that God can take control of today. I'm not going to allow the enemy. Come on, I just speak to terrorists in the room. There is no terror. No devil can terrorize my mind anymore. No anxiety terror can uh, terrorize my marriage any longer, or my children, or the what ifs, or the health of my body, or, or my job, or the economy. God, we just speak to no more terror in homes. No more anxiety in this in this place called the church. Come on, let's just worship God. He's so good. We can't help but not believe him today. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.